Before this week's episode, I want to tell you about Starting Out. It's a podcast hosted by Shireen Patak, and she talks to brand CMOs and agency executives about the big ideas that influence their business decisions today. Listen and subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Anchor.fm. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sango, and today I have a session from our Digiday Video Summit Europe, which we held in Amsterdam. Our reporter Sahil Patel talks to David Trencher in this episode. David is the global brand and agency lead at the Players' Tribune. David will talk about how the publisher is plotting its global expansion and the opportunities and challenges it sees in various markets. Like super quick, uh, David, for, for those who might know, because especially as you guys try to expand uh, into Europe internationally, uh, really quickly, what is the Players' Tribune and, and what does it do? Yeah, the Players' Tribune is a publishing uh, platform where athletes could come connect with fans, um, and really tell their story. The, you know, the, the relationship between the athlete and the media has been a little bit, you know, kind of a hate-hate, right, at the end of the day. The, the media has um, an agenda where they feel like the athlete is going to, um, you know, put on a show on the field or on the court, and when they get off, um, we look at how they did, and we judge them in those hour, two hour, three hour as they're, as they're uh, kind of performing, if you will. So this platform is here for them to tell their story, um, their narrative, control it a little bit more. I always say the stories that we release through, through the athlete are stories that you just can't Google. Um, they feel comfortable enough to tell emotional, personalized stories that really allow them to connect with their audience and show them more than just an athlete, but um, you know, an individual, a person like you. And, and these I. are these are mostly videos, right? Whether it's first-person yeah. testimonials, documentaries, starring pretty big, well-known athletes, at least in the U.S. And now the plan is to bring that globally. Absolutely. When we initially started three years ago, we were mainly editorial, yeah. um, written editorial, long form. But as we kind of uh, kind of grown and, and seen that there is a need for video, we have definitely focused uh, on that video, whether it be. Um, in that social distribution model, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we then kind of chop each video for that platform um, as is appropriate. Okay, so your, your role is uh, uh, overseeing sort of the advertising part of the, uh, of the business. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the Players' Tribune business today? Like, in where, where, are you, how, where and how are you making money today? Right now, we're making money through branded content, okay. right? Um, pretty much, uh, as all my counterparts were on the stage saying earlier, branded content is what we do best. Uh, we have done an amazing job of telling the athlete's story. Now brands are coming to us to help tell their story. How much, are you, how much of that are you doing today? Probably about 95%. Okay. Uh, and like in terms of number of campaigns in a year, at what level have you scaled to? Because I think one of the biggest questions around branded content is, yeah. yeah, you can make a great show for Samsung, which I believe you guys do. Absolutely. Uh, and, and some other brands. But like how much of this can you actually do? Because this is not cheaper, quicker, easy to produce. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's tough, right? Because you, it's a fine line that you have to walk where you're coming out with original content but still have to keep the lights on and uh, you know, give the audience this branded content. Um, so we have scaled it out. We have looked at different models where uh, we license out our content to a Netflix, um, the Amazons of the world, even Facebook and Twitter. Even the branded stuff? You, not the branded stuff, okay. the, the original content. We'll, we'll go to that later. Yeah. But in terms of like specifically branded content, like 
How scalable is that for you guys? It, it's, a, it's hard to scale mm-hmm. uh, um, just due to the fact that you could only have so much branded content on mm-hmm. the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is, again, like I said, a majority of our business right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we kind of grow, we look at different avenues uh, of revenue, whether it be subscription. Um, uh, we could look at um, uh, apparel and things like that as athletes come on, mm-hmm. on board to, to sell their own um, apparel that they might have as well. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in being a branded content-driven business right now mm-hmm. and understanding the plan is to diversify yeah. down the road and have it not be 95% of the business, um, one of the things that I'd love to, love to focus on is uh, how does that actually work in getting it done, right? Because, well, let me ask it this way. Um, how many clients do you guys have right now? Well, we're working probably with around 45 of the top 100 brands. And how many of them did you go directly or through an agency? Um, for the last three years, we were probably 70% through the agencies, 30% mm-hmm. directly. With the Is that something, how do you navigate that, right? Because I can't imagine there's a lot of agencies like, yeah, totally just go to my client and make stuff, stuff right, with yeah. them. Right, yeah. No, it's tricky. Uh, the thing is, you know, the agencies are obviously divided up in different ways. You have media agencies, you have creative agencies, you have content agencies. Um, but the brand themselves, when they look at a platform like ours where they're stepping into a world that they're not really used to and, and it, it does take a little bit of trust to mm. do this. Um, but obviously we always include the agencies to let them know that we're talking directly with their clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes the brands direct just want to be able to take this risk and come directly to us to do that. Is there any differences in terms of the type of stuff you end up making direct with brands? Because that at least feels like it would be a closer Yeah, you know, it, it's true because, you know, when you create content and what the brands are seeing, they're seeing our original content and they say, we want something authentic like that. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a publisher, we go back to them and say, okay, well, you're going to have to give us a little creative control. Mm-hmm. And that's a big ask, right? They're going to say, well, we want this brand messaging. We want you to mention our product in this way. And we need the athlete holding it and doing all these different things where it's like, okay, well, now we're moving completely away from what we do really well mm-hmm. and really now just making a commercial. Now, if that's something they want to do, we can do that and we could white label it and it could be theirs and they could run it. Um, on TV or uh, on their social handles. But at the end of the day, when we go back to the brands, the things that make it different is when they give us the control to do something creative. How often does it happen where they kind of try to take too much control over a project? 95% of the time. 95%, that sounds sounds about right. So how have you found ways to convince them to not do that or or, or pull back a little bit? Guys... Yeah, let it, us let us do what we know. I'll, I'll tell you the, the the easiest way that we've had wins with brands was they they see we work with athletes and they say, okay, we want this big name. Yeah. Could you get us the big name? We're like, well, what are you trying to do here? And, and uh, there's an example. Um, there's a TV network, Showtime, back in, in the states that has, you know, uh, a subscription-based TV uh, uh, platform that has shows. And there's one show coming out around Chicago, the south side of Chicago, and they asked us to bring a big athlete to the table. And we said, hey, look. Which athlete? It, uh, it was, I don't even remember, but it had nothing to do with Chicago. It, okay. was, like, it was an athlete that might have been from Miami or something like that. And we're like, this is one, going to cost you too much money. Two, it's not going to relate to your audience. Um, so we went back to them and we said, there's this athlete, Quentin Richardson, who played for the, uh, the New York Knicks and actually grew up in Chicago and went to school in Chicago. And he could tell a story about growing up on the south side of Chicago. Mm. And his story just was so emotional. Other athletes started reposting what he, what he wrote and the video that we came out with. And that's 
the virality. That's the connection that that brand then had with their audience because we were able to connect them with an athlete that made sense for their brand. I want to take a quick break here and talk to you about Digiday Plus. It's our premium membership product, and if you've never considered subscribing, you should. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in what was said in the rest of the event. And if you're a Digiday Plus member, you'll get our event briefing that tells you all about it. And that's not all. You would also get the Digiday magazine, invites to member events, exclusive access to Digiday research, and so much more. So please subscribe. Visit digiday.com to learn more. So how does it, uh, going from that, how does it work in terms of, uh, you guys have... Athletes you can bring to brands. Yes. You're working with all these, uh, all these clients. Uh, how do you work with them in terms of proving reach? Because at the end of the day, PlayStation is still relatively young. Yeah. Uh, so how do you s- demonstrate to them, like, this will actually... What's your model in terms of saying people will actually see this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is that distribution, that social distribution model. So, you know, at the end of the day, the brand's saying, okay, well, are you paying for this distribution? And the advantage we have is that we're actually able to, in this instance, take a video or article or a podcast for that matter, have the athlete post that out and then have either their teammates, um, uh, friends who might be celebrities, the teams themselves, the leagues, repost out what that athlete has posted. So we're now getting distribution through that influencing network. Uh, Is that something you can guarantee? Like We do guarantee it. Uh, there are ways to do it. Okay. Um, just knowing which athlete we're going to work from from the beginning. If, we, if we're really ahead of it, we know what athlete we're working with. We know mm-hmm. what influencing network they kind of fall into. Um, and we could get that distribution. Mm-hmm. So Facebook has been a pretty big player uh, or a big reason why yeah. people have been able to grow their branded content businesses, yeah. right? It's nice when you can promise X tens of millions of branded content views. Yes. Um, how has the changes impacted you guys in yeah. terms of uh, just being able to do that on Facebook these the days? Distribution, yeah. I mean, it's affected us like everyone else. Mm-hmm. The, the positive is um, we're not fake news. Mm-hmm. So um, our content does get distributed because it does get picked up. When we put out, whether it's editorial or branded, um, a lot of our content is picked up by other media outlets. Mm-hmm. And they take snippets because, again, you have to keep in mind, everything that we put out is from the player's voice. So, there, again, there's no agenda, and what happens is you have the ESPNs, the skies of the world, the Sky Sports, take some of that article or some of that video, and then they write their own video, or, mm-hmm. or excuse me, make their own video or uh, written article, and get that distribution on there, and all that trademarks back to us, or watermarks back to us, based off of the article that they wrote. Specific to Facebook, though, did you guys see much, in the change, uh, much, much of a change in... I'm, I imagine, like, even with whatever organic viewership you get, yes. uh, on the brand and content specifically, the videos, uh, there's some paid behind it as well. Yes. That's just the world that we live in. Of course. In. Uh, how has Facebook's changes impacted the margins for you guys? Because from what I've heard, that's not been just like, oh, it's all the same. Like, there has been some impact it has, across the board for people. It has impacted us. But again, we were, th- those changes happened. We're, we're three years old, mm-hmm. so it hasn't you crippled us to the point where we're going out of business, right? Mm-hmm. It's to the point where it's like, all right, we adjust. We look at how we actually could partner with the Facebook. Mm-hmm. We have uh, shows that we're creating with Snapchat, mm-hmm. um, with Twitter. We have a live show on, uh, called Verified. We're working with the likes of Condé Nast. Um, so we, we've actually pivoted a little bit to 
partner with these other publishers to create content for them, for mm -hmm. them to be able to distribute. How do those relationships work? I'm actually curious about, and let me know if it's different between if it's a publisher partnership versus a, a platform partnership. Yeah. But like in doing a show on Twitter and doing a show on Snapchat, uh, these are official deals. This yes. is not just you uploading something no. on Twitter yeah. or Snapchat. Um, how does that work on the advertising side of the equation? Is it, is it you guys taking the lead? Do you let the platform take the lead? How yeah, it's a, it's a partnership in, okay. in its most natural form. We actually co-sell it together. So mm -hmm. we'll go out into the marketplace with Snapchat, with Twitter. Um, right now we have a show on Snapchat called Pick and Troll. Basically, we go after people who have trolled athletes and said, how could they have missed that shot? Or I could run faster than this person. And then we actually bring the athlete to that person who trolled them mm -hmm. and say, oh, so you think you're faster than me? And then we kind of make the video and show clearly that person is not faster than the athlete. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll go out to a brand together, mm -hmm. us and Snapchat, and, and take it to market. Has that, is that something that you see as like going to be very beneficial yes. for the, as a publisher? or Absolutely, both okay. for us and Snapchat. We fill a void that they're looking to do in sports, and that helps us get that extra scale and distribution that we wouldn't normally have. Okay, uh, so uh, going from that a, a, a little bit, uh, global expansion's yeah. uh, a, a, a big area of focus for you guys, yeah. uh, especially I think you guys have a bunch of stuff tied to the World, World Cup, Cup coming up. Yep, um, that's right. As I imagine everyone on this planet <laughs> does. Um, What's the, what's the original business model? Like how, how are you approaching going global? Is it doing what you did in the U.S., do branded content, and we'll make money that way and expand? Yeah. Like how are you guys modeling out how to actually expand into international Yeah, markets? so the, the interesting thing about our model also um, is that we're funded by athletes. Mm -hmm. So we actually have funds that are uh, created for athletes to participate. So they have a vested interest in our platform doing the same model here in Europe where we had Gerard Piquet as our lead mm -hmm. investor and partner. Um, obviously, he's very Spain-focused. Um, mm -hmm. But as we start looking at different markets, you have to understand there's different nuances. And sports is something that people take very personally. And brands, people who work at the brands, who work at the agencies, take it very, very personally. And, and I've gone into meetings where they're like, oh, you're working with Gerard? We're not going to work with you. I'm like, why? They're like, because he beat us in the finals, you know? Like, okay. and, and these are legitimate conversations that I'm having. So we were looking at expanding, not to just be specific to one athlete, but mm -hmm. to, um, you know, athletes a, as a whole. And that crosses football, F1, um, cricket, tennis, golf. So we're looking at all sports, really. What are, what are key markets for you guys? Uh, I guess, let's, let's say, for the next 12 months, at least. Yeah, definitely Europe. So we're looking at Spain, Germany, um, the U.K., Latin America is very important for us. Mm. Um, Danny Alves has come on board and he's releasing some content. So Brazil, um, Argentina, and eventually probably a little further out in 12 months, but we'll start looking at Asia. Great, great. Uh, is it ever uh, uh, an issue when you, ha I mean, how many athletes could be invested in your company before like that? As many as they want. The fund is created. Where Are you still giving out those titles, by the way? Like, is Derek Jeter still like a publisher well, slash managing editor? Or Derek Jeter is our founder. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> so. right. But like, how about like, is, is Gerard going to get like a senior editor role or something? Depends. If they're if they are, yeah. um, they're contributors. Okay. Um, every single athlete who uh, puts a, a, a article or a video or a podcast on our platform, they're a contributor. Mm -hmm. um, we do not, you know, take any of their words and mix it up and put it how we think it should sound they have full sign-off on everything that gets published. So if they do invest, uh, they obviously will be an investor. And if they do contribute, they'll be a, contrib a contributor and sl slash editor. Final question on this front. Not everyone gets access to yeah. big-name athletes. Yeah. Like, what's, what's, a, what's a takeaway for you? If, if, I'm, if I'm a publisher and I can't get uh, Messi on the phone yeah. and, and do a video series with him yeah. for a brand, like, 
what's it, what's well, what's well, a way to actually get someone to pick up the phone? Right. Well, to get to that point where you know we've the first two years of building this company was building the trust with the athletes. Yeah. Again, built by an athlete, funded by athletes. So having that trust with the athletes. This is before we're even thinking about brands, before we're even thinking about our consumer, we're thinking about the athletes. So we positioned ourselves for the messies of the world to pick up the phone and say, hey, I have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And we could go back to him and take our editorial team and content team and, and go wherever he is and say, all right, what's your story? But you've been, you've been, you've you have a longer history in, in, in the advertising business. Correct. So if you don't have a messy, how do you get a... Like, what's a, what's a, a piece of advice to be like, it's, yeah. this is how you work with brands, especially the bigger brands that might have more to it, spend on it, a, it goes back to that trust factor okay. and having that voice. Okay. Being consistent with what that voice is and what you stand behind, that's going to get the athletes behind you, your consumers behind you, your brands behind you. Okay. Final question, honestly, I have to ask this. Yeah. You spent six years at Facebook. I did. What do you think about them right now? Look, I, I was at Facebook in 2007 yeah. when there was about, um, there was eight people in New York when I started, 200 in the entire company. Um, and then I was out in Singapore where I opened the office in 2010, where again, there was about eight people out there. So there, there's a special heart, a special place in my heart for, for Facebook. Um, look, it's, it, it's, I have a lot of faith in Mark Zuckerberg in mm -hmm. making the right decisions. I think there's a lot of things that are happening that, we, can't, we don't have anything to learn from. Right. And all the changes that are happening, if, if government and all these things want to have Facebook control their data more, that's only going to be more beneficial to them, right? They want to put more restrictions on the data that they own. They own the consumer experience. They own the person that comes into their site every single day and communicates with their friends and brands and athletes and influencers. Um, so... I think they are positioned in a way that they will continue to be successful, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think they will continue to evolve and listen to what's happening out in the marketplace and change. A lot of people are very stubborn and say, this is how we're going to do it, and everyone else is going to change and they're going to fail. But I believe truly that they will kind of go with the tide and make sure that they are doing everything right by the consumers and their users. And the media publishers. Of course. Great. Yeah. Dude, this was terrific. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back with more sessions soon. So stay tuned. If you liked our show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. It helps our podcast to be discovered. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Anchor.fm. You can also write to me or tweet at me. I'm Aditi Sango, and I'll see you next week.